1: Welcome to another episode of the Standard of Truth Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Garrett Dirkmont, and I'm joined by my friend Professor Richard LaDuke.
0: Hello, Garrett. In this week's podcast, we're going to talk about a claim of men dressed as Quakers on the moon. But before we get to that um, we,
1: We've decided we're, you know, we're going to the real hot button issues.
0: Well, so I did get this on my mission, and I know you did as well. And so so it's, it's one of those I things. I got everything on my mission. <laughs> so we're going to get to that. But before we do, um, uh, I'm going to do some shameless promotion. We'll start with the free stuff and work up to the most expensive. So uh, <laughs> first we'd like to, uh, in in the description of the email, both on Apple or Spotify or however you access our podcast, um, please click on the link to take you to the newsletter. Uh, Garrett um, is going to be occasionally sending out newsletters at least at least monthly to start, um, providing a bunch of additional content and providing links to sources that we say we're going to put in but never actually put in and never actually have any intent. You're already it. over-promising. <laughs> yeah. So that that is completely free, and we would love for you to sign up uh, to the newsletter. That would be
1: lovely. I think it'd be fun just sometimes to highlight, even if they aren't documents we've been talking about, just some cool documents, you know, here's a letter Joseph Smith wrote about this, you know, for people to read. And Yeah.
0: We, we, we got the idea from a, from a listener. Uh, and then also Garrett sent that out to people that are going on uh, the tour with us in, in June around Christmas time. What a perfect segue. <laughs> uh, we, uh, we've had a couple people drop out. We have at least four spots open on the tour and would love for people to join us. I believe it's the first week of June.
1: Uh, you you don't know when it is. I don't know when it is. I think it's June second. It's important the to 9th. know that that Richard is a you know a vice president of sales, um, <laughs> but w- he decided to, to make the pitch without actually knowing what I'm. He was selling. Fairly
0: confident it's this year. Uh, <laughs> it's it's in June. It's the first week in June, and we'd love to have you unless you there's another flood. right? <laughs> That's true. I've
1: seen a rainbow.
0: Um, so we're we're planning to have it. We've uh, it should be a lot of fun. We're going to. We're starting in Boston doing a little American history and then going to um, Sharon and harmony and uh, Palmyra, Palmyra and Kirtland, and Kirtland
1: playing all the hits yep going to some Revolutionary War battlefields as well
0: so you can you can access that at uh, standardoftruth.com, um, and also uh, we have some premium content. We're so grateful for those that have signed up for it. A little bit of American history there and Condemned to Repeat It. A little bit of the church in chronological order in terms of the restoration. Uh, we started with Paul, just to give you an idea of how that's, at the pace that that's going to be going.
1: Well, we're going to just start with the apostasy. So, yes, you yes. know, no one screams apostasy like the Apostle Paul? Well, well no, his letters. Well, his yes, letters for sure. So we start it,
0: yeah. with Paul, and then we we quickly jump from Paul all the way to about 70 AD. <laughs> <laughs> but we'd love for you to, to listen to those, as well as um, uh, sacred places from our – or holy places from our past. Uh, I was outvoted on Crinkling Leaves as the right. potential Richard topic. Richard wanted to name the, the our
1: premium content Crinkling Leaves. Uh, because we were going to do sound effects behind Just it, like such a. H- here image. we are, in a sacred place. Crinkle, <laughs> crinkle, crinkle. crinkle, yeah.
0: Anyway, so and, and that one we've started in in harmony. That's going to be multiple parts, and, uh, and so we those drop on Mondays, and we would love for you to be able to uh, to join us on that uh, Spotify for all of those Android listeners, and um, also uh, Apple has that as well so those drop on mondays and then obviously our free content comes out on thursday so that's that's all the shameless uh, <laughs> promotions that i could possibly well, give i just want plug. to say
1: thank you to all the people that have emailed in and sent questions and kind thoughts we legitimately could not read all of the emails we received because if we did, first of all, Richard's already run out of names of the postmaster generals for the mailbag.
0: I think we settled on uh, Damien's great, 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 great grandmother, who was As one of the, the first, first postmaster, female postmaster. Yeah, of, yeah. From uh, Jordan, was it? Or was no, it, it was. Uh, Draper. Oh, crud. Draper. Uh, Damien's going to EB. Oh my yes. god. Sorry, I'll Damien. Richard, Richard did a bad job in his in his prep work. Yeah, shocking. Um <laughs> You knew what this was when you picked it up.
1: Yeah. And well, I just want to remind everyone that while there is paid content, this is still free. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You are getting uh, what you pay for. It. Um We also wanted to, you know, sh- give a shout out to some of our, our fun listeners, even though we can't we can't respond to all of them. You know, we just gotta uh, right as we before we went on the air we got a great uh, email from Judith who sent some really kind words some questions and we just don't have time to answer all of the questions and not all of them fit in and some are, are much more uh, involved than others it would require multi-part um, which hasn't stopped us before um, but we have you know some things that are in the hopper as that we've already decided to discuss um, and then we also want to respond to, to questions uh, that people have. But we really we really just appreciate everybody who's been so kind to us. Um, I, I do get some angry emails where I'm informed what part of hell I'll be visiting for the remainder of eternity. Um, most of those come on Facebook. Well, most of them come from Richard. <laughs> uh, to be fair, they're mostly coming from Richard. Um, on Facebook. Yeah, on Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> Which is crazy. He could just text me, and he sends me Facebook messages. Um, but you know, we, we uh, uh, our, our number one, our first premium content listener was was Tammy, um, who has most of uh, uh, her in laws listening to the podcast. Um, I was reminded again that Lisa is our number one uh, fan. Uh, but, but I don't curious. believe she
0: mentioned me. I think she specifically said you.
1: Which... Well, I mean, I th- I'm look. Eventually, we're going to start, you know, meeting with people so we can have one to one, one on one conversations, and we'll just say that I'm going, but Richard will show up. <laughs> I think that's yes. Yeah,
0: uh, you're familiar. In a previous podcast, we talked the, about the Millerite movement and the great disappointment.
1: Yeah, this uh, is very similar. You think you're going to go meet me? <laughs> Well, that, that sounds terrible. Oh, it's uh, just it's, perfect. It's uh, just I had great. A, a great conversation uh, this uh, a past week with uh, Dallin and Carter, who are, you know, he has the same name as my brother, Dallin, which I, I have many conversations with my brother, Dallin, uh, but this is a a, a a guy in our stake, who is in our uh, our stake presidency, in fact, and uh, he's not anymore, so I can talk about it. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but just great people who've just been so kind with the the content and that's what our hope is look our hope is that we can help people you know kind of answer some of these questions that we can provide some again very free entertainment um as as we have already demonstrated but also, perhaps give you some tools for looking at things going forward, which actually brings us to this this first question we got from one of our very kind listeners.
0: Okay, so this is the uh, Phoebe Draper Palmer Brown uh, mailbag. Okay, very uh, good. That's right. Um, first postmaster of Draper. There we go. <laughs> there it is. Dr. Dirk Mott. I see that I am not mentioned here, Doctor Dirkmont.
1: This is a real thing for you guys. If you want to be on the top of the mailbag, I'm surprised this one even made it through.
0: Well, it was it was a, it was an interesting question actually that uh, that sparked a couple of conversations that Gary and I had, laughing about our own missions and this topic coming up. But yeah. uh, Doctor Dirkmont, my question is this. Did Joseph Smith ever say there were little men living on the moon? I have heard that rumor, but haven't looked into it. I am curious on that one, if it's just one of those myths. Thank you, Jacob. And so for for me, actually, I I was first made aware of this in uh, Corona, California. Shout out to the Circle City. uh, That was part of my mission. And uh
1: do you think do you think Corona California has like some negative vibe because of the coronavirus do you think Yeah, they might. Do you think there are people like man I know I know really... I know
0: that uh the the adult beverage Corona took actually a pretty decent hit initially um just based on ignorance and whatever So
1: there are people who drink beer who are dumb enough to believe that Corona beer could give you coronavirus is that
0: it's i don't know that there's next uh, necessarily causation but i know there was a decline in purchase so perhaps um, i would have think
1: most people would be drinking more beer during the coronavirus for yeah for sure. sure yeah um especially well, with you know stimulus <laughs>
0: so uh i remember we had just had a recent convert i was it was actually my, my first transfer i was sent to corona california and uh they had just baptized this wonderful gentleman. He was in maybe late sixties, early seventies in age, and um, and he was our team up that night. We we got uh, Book of Mormon referrals, Bible referrals, Lamb of God, Luke two. The Lamb of God and Luke 2 referrals that we received via fax machine, those ended up uh, oftentimes were, were pretty good appointments. The And look, I'm not saying this is the case for everyone. I'm just saying this is the case for me. That uh, the Bible referrals, as you've mentioned in previous podcasts, that they just wanted their Bible in for us to leave them alone. And the Book of Mormon uh, referrals that came through the, the videos and things, that often they wanted to either bash or... Rob you <laughs> or, or or bash um,
1: bash or bash or yeah, rob yeah. Yeah. Just, just weird.
0: also as just a quick aside, one of my favorite things is, is Garrett would often get uh, these book of Mormon referrals in Wisconsin. And where did they lead you? They would
1: often, people had figured out, you know, if you were to go to like 3000 on this particular road, that that would drive you directly into the middle of Lake Michigan. <laughs> You know, so like, well, wait a minute, this is only like 200. And as you keep going, you're like, oh, I see. 3,000 is is about 50 feet into the water. Okay. Yes.
0: Yeah. Well, but so uh, in this particular instance, it was a Book of Mormon referral. And we brought uh, this this recent convert, just the sweetest man. And uh, they led with, he or he led with this idea of um, Joseph Smith said that there are Men on the moon dressed as Quakers, and and that was the first time I was exposed to that. I was like, what are you talking about? But I know that you also received that question as well. Yeah, and I
1: can't remember the full context of mine. I believe I was meeting with uh, someone who had um, uh, a list of things but the reason why like, like they, they listed it off and then the next thing they read was something that was just demonstrably false. And so we spent all of our time on that one before they threw us out. Okay, so yeah. kind of an
0: OG CES
1: letter. Yeah, yeah. It was the original, <laughs> the original gangster, just a shotgun everything. Um, so uh, I think it's important. So let's talk about tools when people present you with things like this. First and foremost, for us on our mission, look, the internet existed.
0: I mean, sort
1: of. Yeah, I mean, it kind of existed. Yeah, it existed. you male, right? Yeah, that sure. kind of. Yeah, everyone had a bunch of AOL CDs with free hundred minutes on it. They were throwing in there to try to try to get it. Um, but there was just not very much ability. I mean, this was back when chat rooms were a huge deal, right? Like you get on and you chat with someone in real time, and you get anti Mormon stuff that way. Um, but, um. <laughs> Where are you from, Utah? Oh, I believe in the wrong Jesus. Um, especially back then, there usually is some kind of antecedent to what it is that they're making the claim. Now, that there's a source. these are, you know, This is something we've spent a lot of time on this podcast. That there's a source from the past that makes the accusation. And that the source is a good source and should be used to determine whether or not we have a testimony. Those are wildly different things.
0: Right, because the claim isn't that someone said that Joseph said the thing. The claim is Joseph Smith said this thing.
1: And Joseph Smith is therefore a false prophet because he claimed that. And, of course, there's no men on the moon. Now... That doesn't even take into account the nuances of God allowing people to believe whatever it is that they believe until he tells them something different, right? Um, God does not seem to be in the habit of telling people things that haven't yet been revealed. I mean, there are all kinds of examples of this in the past where prophets don't know everything. They only know what it is that God has revealed to them so far. So, why doesn't God just reveal to Joseph Smith that the thing that's really killing everybody in Nauvoo is mosquitoes and malaria? Why does he have Joseph Smith believing that it's swampy air and a miasma from the from the water that's causing it? I mean, look, there is connection there, obviously that's where the mosquitoes are breathing breeding, but they have this they have this you know, connection, but they don't understand. So someone can always shake their fist back at history and say, well, why didn't God tell the prophet this? Well, I mean, there's, that's, that's a question, but it's now asking something that for which there isn't really an answer. So one thing that's always lost in these discussions is that simply because a prophet is living in the world the same way other people are living in the world— Doesn't make them not a prophet. And they were wrong about assumptions all the time. I mean, Elijah really believed that there was no one left in the nation of Israel that hadn't worshiped Baal until God told him, actually, there's thousands of people. Now, did that mean Elijah was a liar? Did that mean Elijah was just an idiot? I mean, like, it meant that Elijah, as a man, thought he already knew that there was no one left. But as a man, he was wrong. And eventually, God corrected him. But God didn't correct him right away. He waited until Elijah went out storming out of the city and said, all right, it's enough. Let me die. It was a while before he had that corrected. So this is something that's very difficult for our um, Christian friends who have negative views towards our church. They want to try to take our belief in a prophet and turn it into us believing that prophets are infallible know-it-alls who literally know everything at all times, rather than the people God has given the authority and the keys to receive revelation when God deems to give revelation. But there's a great question that no Christian can answer, and that is, when and why does God decide to give the revelation that he gives? Why does he wait to give some revelations? Why doesn't he give it immediately? Why do the children of Israel have to suffer in Egypt for 400 years as slaves? 400 years. Longer than the United States has existed as a country, that's how long the children of Israel need to suffer, live, die, children born, live, die, live, die, as slaves. Couldn't God have raised up a Moses, I don't know, 20 years into it? When we're talking about God... The answer is always God could have done something different. We don't know why God didn't do something different. We just know that he didn't. So I think it's always important to to catch yourself. People who are going to be asking questions about prophets and their, their fallibility usually are approaching it from a position of, not even just if a prophet prophesied something that doesn't come to pass, and, and by the way, what they mean is doesn't come to pass the way they think that it should have, um, they will, uh, you know, we've talked about with Joseph Smith's prophecy on the Civil War, how hilarious it is that some people will attempt to, to, to nitpick that prophecy to say, well, I mean, there weren't major slave uprisings during the civil war. So, you know, it says that slaves will rise up against their masters and and that doesn't really happen. And, And you're like, so wait a minute. So you're conceding that Joseph Smith predicted that the Civil War would be bloody even though no one thought it would happen. That he predicted it would last a long time even though no one thought it would happen. That he predicted where it would be even though no one thought it would happen. And exactly what the cause would be even though no one thought it would happen. But you're hung up on the fact that you don't think there were enough slave uprisings to justify the fact that he said there would be slave uprisings. Not that there were
0: none, there just weren't enough.
1: There weren't enough. I mean, and like... That, it's such a weird thing to do. And again, I understand all of these arguments when they're coming from atheists. I get it. You don't believe in God at all. I don't know why you're listening to this podcast, but... Uh, thank you for
0: signing up for the premium you know content. Yeah,
1: thank you for signing up. We do do some straight history um, in the Condemned to Repeat It podcast, but I, I I understand why an atheist simply dismisses anything that has anything to do with God. I actually appreciated some of my atheist professors um, more than uh, my, uh, my more uh, religious ones, because my atheist professors, when I was getting my PhD, they thought I was stupid for being a Latter-day Saint. They thought anyone who believed in God was stupid. But they didn't think that I was any more stupid than someone who was a Catholic. They just thought I was, I, was, I was just as stupid as anyone who believed in God. Whereas Christians often apply a very, very different standard um, to Latter-day Saints than they do to themselves, right? It's very obvious that the prophets in the, the Bible, in the Old and in the New Testament, don't know everything, So, why do we expect that prophets today would know everything? I mean, Latter day Saints don't believe that prophets are infallible. They believe that prophets are the vessel whereby God gives revelation when that revelation comes. So, that's an important context for this entire discussion. First and foremost, usually if there's something that you've heard from that long ago, there is some source behind it. So, in so it's rare that someone just simply writes an entire, like, you know, creates out of whole cloth something that's, that's fake. Also, the other thing, though, is if something is coming from that long ago, like from your mission, it's almost certainly published somewhere. Because I've met a lot of anti-Mormons in my day. You know what they don't do? Go to archives. Uh, they want to tell you how much time they've spent researching things, but they don't actually want to actually research things. What they mean by that is I read something that someone else pulled together and now I know more than most people I know, and that makes me an expert.
0: In fairness, though, to the extreme anti-Mormon, ah, it's from, tough, last episode. from the last episode, yeah. it is tough to look through, um, you know, Microfilm while doing a backside uh, heel flip. Yeah,
1: yeah. Here's if example. you're if, very difficult. If you're going to be doing a trick off of that <laughs> mogul while you're yelling about Solomon Spaulding, you know, it's it, very difficult. It's going to be very difficult. I mean, it, frankly, it's actually one of my my pet peeves. And I know this wasn't what, um, you know, the the question was about. But I'm you know I'm going to rant a little bit. And if you don't like it, you can go get your own yeah, podcast. That's right. If
0: you're so smart, go go <laughs> get your own podcast about men on the moon uh, dressed so, as Quakers. So,
1: um, it, it's frustrating to me because I hear people say things all the time, like, "Oh no, you know he's done a lot of studying on this." Or, no, no, she has just read so much about it; she just knows so. And yet, none of that studying seems to be in any way comprehensive, right? When someone says to me, well, I read this in the Journal of Discourses, and it really made me lose my faith, you know, whatever I actually say to the person, what's going on in my mind is, oh, really? So you were just reading through all 26 whatever volumes of it, got to the 17th volume, halfway through it, Read that and then was like, wait a minute, I'm troubled by this.
0: So it's one of those things though, to, to your point, is that why does that matter? It's because they're starting from a place where they're not being genuine. Yeah. You, you read this somewhere online or you heard this from some person or something. Who told
1: you who what told to think you, about it. Right, exactly. Yeah.
0: Not just told you that it's there, but what to think about it. And people don't want to be – they start off in a place where they're not being honest, they're not being genuine and – to your point, almost nothing you say now at this point matters because they're starting from a place where they didn't do the thing that they're claiming to do. But I'm, but so, somehow there's some virtue in not looking at those things and claiming to go through.
1: Well, it's it's. I mean, I don't know what virtue it is aside from laziness. I mean, look, we're talking about the kingdom of God on earth here. Either the claims that are being made by Joseph Smith and the church are true and this is the most important thing that exists, or they're not. In which case, how are you going to find out if your grand total of investigation involves less time than you spent binging a show on Netflix this week? Well, it must not really be that important to you. I mean, I realize it's not easy, but but the ease of researching something that's not really the determining factor of whether or not it's helpful to you. If it's we're talking about your soul. I, I get this a lot when people will tell me what they think Brigham Young's personality is. They caricature him. I mean, Brigham Young's easy to caricature. We love to do it in the church. You know, we've all heard little pithy quotes or, you know, oh yeah, Brigham this, Brigham that. Whenever I'm in a serious discussion with somebody, you know, another scholar or or someone who's talking about it, they say, well, Brigham Young this, and it doesn't align with what I have read from him, I always like to ask, well, how, how much of Brigham Young's writings have you read? Well, oh, no, I've I read, I read some stuff from Brigham Okay, there are like hundreds of Brigham Young sermons that are publicly available. How many of them have you read from start to finish? Not, not because someone said, oh, man, you've got to go look at what he says about this in here, but because you just read it to find out. Brigham Young's journals are available. How many people have gone and read his journals to get an insight into who he is. Do you see how weird it is that we think we know people from the past when we haven't even put in a slight actual effort to find out who they are? Imagine, imagine if someone were to judge you not by all of the texts in your phone, not by the conversations you've had, not by the lessons you taught at church, but because they got part of a single text that you sent a friend when you were joking around. And they said, that's who you are. And they went around telling everybody that's who you are. We kind of do this with historical figures from the past. We think we know who they are in part because of the way they're presented in movies or in popular culture, but that is not the result of a deep dive into the things they actually said and did. The number of people you meet who've actually spent time doing that is very small. And I don't expect that everyone can. I mean, look, Look, I've got a dream job, right? My job is to read church history documents all day long and then publish on them. That's my job. Somehow, I am paid money for this. Now, it's not an enormous amount. I'm sure Captain Professor, you know, you know, Gendarme LeDuc over here will forever be more valuable to the world than a historian will be. And it won't even be close. But still, because it's my job, I spend an enormous amount of time on those things because it's my job. And of course, not everyone can do that. So I'm not saying, oh, you don't get to have an opinion about everything, about anything, unless you've spent all this time. What I am saying, though, is let's take a pause before we decide we do know something. If we haven't ourselves spent very much time investigating it, Um, you know, we 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 have this it happens when it's a doctrine or a story or a belief that really means something to us, we will often make that front and center and, 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 and without actually doing a lot of investigation surrounding it. And I've done this myself in my own life. Anyway, all that is to say, just as a rule, Challenge what your assumptions are about what you know and how you know it. Things like knowing that the Book of Mormon is true. Well, you've probably put in all kinds of time on that. You've probably read the Book of Mormon more than any other book that you own. You've read it dozen times, two dozen times. Even if you've read it three times, that's more than any other. How many other books have you read three times? And I don't mean like the ones you read to your kids when they keep handing you the same one. No, I want to read this one. No, that will take another 20 minutes and I just want to go to bed. I mean, like really read the book. So of course you're going to feel really close to the Book of Mormon because you've spent so much time with it. And and so back to this, this specific question, it was around this, this antagonistic attack was around when you were on your mission, when I was on my mission. Because it was in an easily uh, findable place, and therefore it made for easy fodder for anti-mormon. So, so, let's talk about the source that it was in, that it was taken from um, by those people there in Corona while they were they were waiting to. Uh, uh, how did that end up turning out? By the way,
0: it was actually. It's actually a great story. Um, he joined the church and became a bishop. No, uh, oh, I was going to say, no. wow, that never
1: once happened. No, 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 it doesn't no happen. one ever joined the church. Once um,
0: but so uh, the way it ended actually was that this recent convert of two or three months uh, just bore his testimony of the truthfulness of the restored gospel, and we left. And when we got in the car, he said, "You know, when I um, when I joined the church, I knew that there would be people that would attack it." And that's what I signed up for, and it was it was it was actually, to me who was a brand new missionary, I'd only been out for a couple of months. This was uh, it was it was a pretty impactful experience. So, wow, it was great. Yeah,
1: that that that's better than any experience I had for my mission. <laughs> um, Richard's always just shaming me. He's like, well, maybe if you were more righteous. Um,
0: You should listen to uh, the Gospel of Prosperity, part one, two, and two and a half.
1: the Prosperity Gospels, yep. Um, So the published version of this story, which I'm guessing is where it originates from, because I'm going to just doubt that most people have gone back to the original journal. That's what I'm going to doubt. But it comes from the Young Women's Journal. So the Young Women's Journal is a publication near the end of the... uh, of the 19th century, and this particular one is uh, from 1892. 1892, number three, uh, page uh, 263, and there's an article that's published in this this church publication um, called Our Sunday Chapter, and it's written by Oliver Huntington. Oliver Huntington titles this article, The Inhabitants of the Moon. Astronomers and philosophers have, from time almost immemorial until very recently, asserted that the moon was uninhabited, that it has no atmosphere, etc. But recent discoveries through the means of powerful telescopes have given scientists a doubt or two upon that old theory. Now Now, you can already tell that the way he's trending in this, arguing that there is an atmosphere on the moon is, you know, again he doesn't you know people can't know everything nearly all the great discoveries of men in the last half century have in one way or another either directly or indirectly contributed to prove Joseph Smith to be a prophet so so he's making this argument that even though most people have always thought that there was no no uh, person living on the moon and that there was no atmosphere of the moon Those people are wrong, and the fact that they're wrong actually proves that Joseph Smith was a prophet. As far back as 1837, he continues, I know that Joseph said that the moon was inhabited by men and women the same as this earth, and that they lived to a greater age than we do, that they lived generally to near the age of a thousand years. He described the men as averaging near six feet in height, and dressing quite quite uniformly in something near the Quaker style. Um, so uh, I think part of the question uh, that, that he had sent in, you know, said that there were little men living on the moon. Well, I, I think, you know, six foot and height a pretty good sized man. Well,
0: we do know yeah. from Apollo 11 that uh, Buzz Aldrin was 5'10". We know that Michael Collins, who actually didn't, you know, step on the moon... Right. He was still in the, but he in was the, in the, show. the yeah. He was he was five eleven.
1: And this is not the same Michael Collins who was the head of
0: the Irish Republican. He it. was 5'7". Okay, and no. and then uh that was actually the first thing that came up in the search, so that's how I and then Neil Armstrong was also five eleven. So right there Joseph Smith is proved to be a false prophet. <laughs> because it's it's but six. Average. Foot. No, they're average, you know. No, well, no one's over no one's over six foot. So the average is much Well, longer.
1: maybe there's just an astronaut you don't know about. <laughs> well <laughs> We course landed course. on the moon several times. Yeah, we did. Sure. Uh but So you can see where this comes from. Now, this is something that he has a personal feeling towards because apparently the patriarchal blessing that he received, um, which he continues on, um, now that's not from Joseph, but it's from uh, Joseph Smith Sr. And this is not the exact phrasing of it, but he appears to be paraphrasing it. He says, In my patriarchal blessing given by the father of Joseph the prophet, in Kirtland 1837, I was told that I should preach the gospel before I was 21 years of age, that I should preach the gospel to the inhabitants upon the islands of the sea and to the inhabitants of the moon, even the planet you can now behold with your eyes. The first two promises have been fulfilled, and the latter may be verified. From the verification of the two promises, we may reasonably expect that the third will be fulfilled also. So he seems to really believe he's going to preach to the inhabitants on the moon. So you can see why he has this kind of... um, uh, personal feeling towards it now this is published in a in a in a church publication the the young women's Journal and so it's widely you know widely circulated and this is where this is coming from. however, if we wanted to go back further, we could get back further into why is it that he's he's saying this now he's certainly referencing back to this patriarchal blessing. But he says that he knows that the prophet told, you know, was teaching this as early as as, as 1837. So if we go to Oliver Huntington's journal, which you can get through uh, the BYU um, uh, uh, digital collections, his journal's been digitized. So you can actually read the whole journal in his handwriting. Um, and while it says it's a journal, it, it really is. A lot of it is reminiscent accounts, some of it's daily uh, accounts, and this is a place where actually it is a collection of teachings of the prophet Joseph Smith that are not necessarily, uh, well, they're certainly not contemporary. I mean, these are all reflections backwards. Um, It it comes in his journal in, in the midst of several other things that are going on. He's going to... Uh, be giving you know a kind of a daily calendar of events like you normally would in a journal and then it's going to break off into a whole bunch of other reminiscent teachings remember when I say reminiscent what I mean is someone looking back and saying oh this is what so-and-so said back then
0: so so this uh in the in the young women's journal is 1892
1: 1892
0: and the and this journal, that we're looking at here with reminiscence and other things is, is when,
1: well, it's sometime between, at least apparently 1880, uh, October of 1880, uh, and, uh, in, in 1881, because the last entry you have, so you have an entry that's like a daily entry and he's going through things. He's like December 22nd, sister hall was endowed for Lydia Huntington and sealed to Joseph Smith senior. So he's going through this, um, you know, daily list of events, um, and uh, then he's going to get into uh, into sorry into 1881. So it's going to be between January 10th of 1881, right? So he has this this in here, January, and then January 13th, and then after that, you have uh, a bunch of stories that are going to be entered into the uh, the the record. Now, one of them is a letter that he copies in that's from St. George, uh, February 17th, 1881. So even though that's not a daily entry, you got to figure, okay, what he's copying in is after February 17th, 1881. Um, But as you go further forward, you just start getting a whole list of things that people have said that Joseph Smith taught. Um, And let me give you an, an example of that. Um, he is going to give an example of someone who, who gives an account of when the Melchizedek priesthood was restored, something he's heard from a man by the name of Addison Everett. He's going to start giving some Joseph Smith teachings that we do have other records of. For instance, I heard Joseph Smith say the year in the year that Jesus made his second appearance, there would be no rainbow. That is something from, from Joseph's other teachings. A.F. McDonald tells, but from what authority I don't know, that on a certain occasion there was a piece of work or business that needed to be done immediately in order to keep advantage out of the hands of our enemies, and the matter was talked about in council one evening where Joseph the prophet presided. It was then decided that it was necessary that the work be done that same night. The prophet said that it must be done that night, and turning to a young man said, I want you to go and do it and return before morning and asked him if he would do it. The young man said that he would, and he testified that he did do the job, although he had to travel 500 miles to do it. 500 miles there and 500 miles back. I do not doubt that if Joseph Smith required such a thing to be done and said it must be done and delegated a man to do it, that it w- and who was willing that it would be done, and that that person would be wafted through the air by the power of God, equal to translation, whether the person went in body or in spirit, whether the distance was 500 or 5,000 miles, it would all be the same. If he required such a thing, it would be because God required it and all things are possible with God. That is my faith in the prophet Joseph Smith. So you can already see that this is him sharing, first of all, stories that are told him that he sees his faith promoting. Now look, Oliver Huntington's a great faithful member of the church, and he is a dedicated believer in the prophet Joseph Smith. And because he's so dedicated, when someone tells him that story, that's not his story. He's not saying, by the way, I'm the person who was wafted 500 miles, right? He's saying someone told him that story. And his response to it is, if that's what God wanted to have happen, God could have happened." So he has this faith that He that God can do anything, which is a faith that all Christians have. But it's clear that he's not telling something that Joseph told him. He, in fact, says this is something that this other person told him. And at the very least, it has to be a story that is 40-plus years old because it's 1881 and Joseph dies in 1844. So maybe it's only 36, 37 years old. But that means you're pretty far removed from when Joseph ever would have said this thing anyway. Um, so that's an example. There's just kind of a list of things. He then gives a list of something that is um, uh, uh, an odd fulfillment. I mean, so so here he, he gave a couple of stories about how, you know, even if, if, if God commanded it, this guy's flying 500 miles through the air like his body's translated in order to fulfill whatever the prophet said. And then he gives a story about how Joseph told W.W. W. Phelps and his wife that they should never taste of death. And the way he describes that happening, because both have passed away, is that, you know, W.W. Phillips had lost all of his mental faculties before he died. And so because of that, he didn't taste of death. And that his wife, you know, died instantly um, by being struck by a, a, a flying board and a gust of wind. And so she didn't, quote, taste of death because she died instantly. So it's very interesting. You have this kind of fluctuation back and forth between... Well, the literal fulfillment of this prophecy or this statement you know, was you know carrying someone through the air. And now here, instead of a literal fulfillment, it's a figurative fulfillment. So we already know that Oliver Huntington, is, he's presenting things in this list of teachings and ideas. Some are literal. Some are figurative. Some are things that he is claiming to know about himself. Others are things that he's clearly getting from someone else. Now, why does it matter that he gets uh, if he gets something from someone else? Well, because if he's not the one who actually heard the thing that's being said, well, then he he doesn't actually know if it's being related to him the same way that the person heard it. I've shared on this podcast before that there are multiple times that I have people misinterpret things that I've said. I mean, I think it's probably just because I'm a bad speaker, actually. This kind of reflects on me, right? Yeah, it's happened it's your multiple fault, times. For sure. yeah. Um but it happens. I mean honestly even when we did our when we did our uh you know when we dipped our toe into the into the raging torrent that is questions about plural marriage, most of the email responses we received was people completely rejecting um, my giant caveat I made at the very beginning, where I said, look, this is only one case. I realize there are many other cases of plural marriage. I understand that there, you know, and and I went through that whole thing, setting it up, saying your impetus is going to be to want to email me and say, well, what about this? I'm telling you right now, I'm not going to talk about those other ones because I can only cover this case. And what did I get? I got a flood of emails of people saying, well, "Why didn't you talk about this?" We
0: have never received such negative feedback—not on how it went necessarily, but that you didn't do this and you didn't do this and you didn't mm-hmm. talk about this. It's—it's it's the reason why it's season thirty-eight. We, we yeah, because it, I'm
1: going to retire in season thirty-seven. <laughs> the,
0: the, a lot of the feedback we get is—is is very good, and not—not not that we don't, you know, you know, we understand that there's criticism for how things are done, but we have not received any feedback as negative as was that.
1: Right. And so when we try to cover these more difficult topics, the problem is the the topics that are difficult and the topics that are sensitive, people feel like they already know the answer to. And when it comes to plural marriage, people feel like, well, you know, well, that's not the way it was for my great-grandmother. Well, there are literally hundreds of thousands of people that participate in plural marriage families in some way. So, I don't have the ability to, in any comprehensive way, unless this entire podcast was called the Let's Talk About Every Single Polygamous Marriage That Existed That We Have Records of podcast, which, you know what? Maybe that should be premium content. Yeah, that'd be good. You know, premium content, the, the polygamy podcast. Oh, boy. I mean, I, so I don't have the ability to do that. So, all you can really do as a historian is talk about generalities. The problem is when it's something that people really care about, even when you say, I am only talking about this in general, or I'm only talking about this specific case, someone who has a personal connection to it immediately goes to, well, yeah, but that's not what my grandfather said. I know it's not what your grandfather said. And, and, And his experience might have been very different than many other people's. And so it's important to understand that, that, that we, we have a tendency to, when we feel strongly about something, to make what we hear all about that thing. I, I'm always surprised when I meet with members from different parts of the country that even the questions I get in Utah Valley differ from the questions I get in El Paso. Now, some are going to be similar, but there are others that are, that are different. Why? Because people have different questions based upon what's affecting them in their life at the time. And so I think what you know, uh, Oliver Huntington is doing here is he's listing off some things that he's heard that demonstrate that Joseph Smith is a prophet. He sees this as a very faith-promoting thing. But they are clearly not all equal. Some he's saying that he heard Joseph say. Some he's saying he heard that someone else said that Joseph said. Some he's saying uh, without giving any attribution about how he knows. Now, that doesn't make any of them false. But it certainly means we are very far removed from Joseph Smith himself saying it. Um, and so, uh, uh, in part of this list, that's where you get his reference to this. The inhabitants of the moon... Are a more of a uniform size than the inhabitants of the earth. So it's very similar to his. He probably uses his journal to create the article that he writes 10 years later. The inhabitants of the moon are more uniform in size than the inhabitants of the earth, being about six feet in height. They dress very much like the Quaker style and are quite uh, general in style or one, uh, one fashion of dress. They live to be very old, coming generally near a thousand years. This is the description of them as given by Joseph the seer. And he could see, in quotes, whatever he asked the Father in the name of Jesus to see. I heard him say that he could, quote, ask what he would of the Father in the name of Jesus that it would be granted. And I have no more doubt of it than I have that the mob killed him. So again, he's presenting this as, as a demonstration that Joseph is a prophet because he believes that eventually they are going to find that there are inhabitants of the moon. And so Joseph as the seer saw that.
0: By the way, um, as, as you're transitioning, uh, nine men walked on the moon. Average height of those men, five foot, nine and three quarter inches. So obviously this is proven very well, false.
1: I like the fact that we've transitioned from getting giving betting lines on on NBA and football uh, you know, we haven't even talked about the Super Bowl no
0: we have well this is this is going to come out uh, this will come out before the Super Bowl um you know hit the uh hit Kansas City hard go go Andy Reid go well, Mahomes what's our, what's our line on that uh you know what? I don't you know I'm going to look into it. I'll, I'll I'll get our okay. cracks we'll let's it.
1: get our staff on that um so you got to get a, a sense for this okay now he is saying that that Joseph said it but he is also not explaining when or where and if joseph is saying this in public well we don't really have that now if joseph had said it it would not be that uncommon a thing in the 19th century for people to believe it i mean there are people who are believing those things you know in the 19th century that that the the people are living on the moon or there's atmosphere on the moon. Um, In in fact, the son of uh, a great astronomer, uh, Herschel is actually going to perpetrate a hoax in which he claims he found all kinds of cities on the moon and people print it all over the country and say, Oh look, yeah, he found cities on the moon. So it is not an uncommon thing for people to think it. The problem is as a source goes, I don't have any contemporary source from Joseph Smith where Joseph Smith says it. Now first and foremost, had Joseph Smith, you know, said it, I would imagine that rather than him prophesying it, he was simply saying something like, "Hey Joseph, do you think there's people living on the moon?" "Sure, I, I yeah, there could probably be people living on." I mean, I mean that does not that's not the same thing as a prophecy. But I don't have any context of this. I don't know if this is a question Joseph is being asked. I don't know when this was. I have no other sources that say this. And so, look, is it possible Joseph said something about it? Sure. It's especially possible because Latter-day Saints, unlike most Christians, do not believe that this is the only world that has any living inhabitants on it. It's actually a pretty big deal for many Christians who argue that the only place that God created us on is this earth. But Joseph Smith, of course, is going to be taught that, that there are worlds without number that God has created, and that the inhabitants thereof are begotten sons and daughters of God. We believe very much that there, that there is a limitless, limitless worlds. in fact, to the point where they cannot even be numbered unto man. So whatever that number is, however high that number is, we actually don't have a number that can equal the number of worlds God has created. And apparently with that description that he has created inhabitants of those worlds. So we're already pretty far off the Christian beaten path, right? For a Christian... It's actually just as problematic as that we believe that there are trillions of worlds that are inhabited by, by uh, children of God as it is that Joseph might have thought people lived on the moon. But in this case, we are very far removed from Joseph himself saying it. I, it appears to be something that's given second, it's at very least second, but possibly third hand. And it's simply repeated, and it's also it's a personal opinion that Huntington has later in his journal. You know, in the 1890s, um, he is going to provide some other information for us, which you might find quite interesting. Richard, February 16th, 1895. I am willing to state that the names of the three Nephites. So <laughs> I, I thought we didn't know who they were, right? I almost feel like. People were constrained from writing. Maybe you could share that scripture. Yeah,
0: okay, well, it's 3 uh, Nephi 28, uh, 25, and 26. So this is Mormon writing. Behold, I was about to write the names of those who were never to taste of death, but the Lord forbade. Therefore, I write them not, for they are hid from the world. But behold, I have seen them, and they have ministered unto me.
1: Okay, absolutely believe in the three Nephites. But he's going to say, I'm willing to, this is his 1895 journal, I'm willing to state that the names of the three Nephites who do not sleep in the earth are Jeremiah, Zedekiah, and Kumanon
0: High. So, I mean, in fairness, he's got a pretty decent, a 3 in 12 chance.
1: Because they list him all off. That's right. Yeah, yeah. A one, yeah.
0: 1 in 4 chance, essentially, of, uh, of hitting of hitting on that.
1: Well, so he goes on to say. Or at least one of them. Right. Yeah, yeah. Well, one of them for sure. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, one. I guarantee one of them's named one of those. Names. Yeah. A
0: broken yeah. clock can be. Yeah. Can pick what a third. Betting, defy, what, what are tw- the tw- betting tw- lines
1: on 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 picking third? knee fight? I don't
0: have fights. that. I do have Chris Stapleton at the over under of one hundred and twenty one point uh, five seconds. Um. So that is going to be just over two minutes. And the average national anthem is about a minute 56. So the question you have to ask yourself is, is Chris Stapleton really going to hit some of those notes and really lengthen them out? Now, as a country singer, I would guess yes. I would hit the over.
1: Okay. Well, I know that you're a degenerate <laughs> gambler if you are betting on the length of the national anthem being sung at the Super Bowl. That's right. That's how, if you are that person, I need you to seek help. Yeah, I need you to find loved ones, get people on your side. This,
0: well, this, this. By the way, this uh, this betting moment is brought to you by a good friend of mine, Ken Go Lightly. Thank you, Ken.
1: Uh, Ken, a consummate gambler in his own right.
0: No, he just got a kick out of it. The one time we did it, and I told him I got in a lot of trouble, and he thought that was even. Funnier. Yeah,
1: in fact, the only reason we're mentioning it now is both of our wives are no longer in the room. And so we can get away with joking around about it. Anyway, back to 1895 Journal. He says, it's my opinion, and I am sanguine in it, that the assertion of astronomers is erroneous, where they say that the moon and larger planets have no atmosphere. What nonsense. You can see he personally feels like that the... The scientific discoveries, because by 1895, it's becoming much more readily thought that, well, there's no atmosphere on the moon, that he thinks it's just a bunch of, of, of puppycock, right? And so um, he has a personal investment in this as well. And maybe it's because he really thinks Joseph said what Joseph said. So he thinks he's defending Joseph Smith. And in which case, I I love Oliver Huntington. I, I love somebody who's desperate to defend Joseph Smith. But I will say, in relation to our initial question, did Joseph Smith really say that? Well, those are the sources. Is it possible that he said it? It is. Should it be a a matter of faith destruction if he did? I would sincerely hope not. I would hope the fact that he didn't know what malaria was would be a bigger issue to you than whether or not he thought that there might be people living on the moon. Hmm but honestly, I would certainly not write Joseph Smith taught that people were living on the moon. At the very best, I would say, many decades later, one inhabitant of Nauvoo claimed that they had heard that Joseph had said that the moon was inhabited. Oliver Huntington believed this and repeated it multiple times in multiple venues. Now, that, that would be correct, but that wouldn't demonstrate that Joseph, in fact, um, you know, that he taught it. One of the reasons why you have to be really careful of, uh, you have to be careful of sources where you only have a single person saying it is you don't know whether or not they got the information correct. And so, I mean, when we're dealing with, prophetic utterance, we don't just take a single statement made by, you know, a single 70 in a single general conference and say, oh, yeah, that's now the doctrine of the church. Church doctrine is set out by the prophet, the first presidency, the quorum of the 12 apostles, and in, you know, in conjunction with one another. I don't know whether or not Joseph ever said anything about the moon. I know that Oliver Huntington sure seems to think that he did, but I also don't know what his source really is. And so, you know, I I think when you come across things like this, you think, well, maybe, but also does it even matter? I think that's why it's so important to. And look, our listener who who wrote in was in no way challenged in their faith by this. Uh, they they thought it was ridiculous, right? So it's not it's not a faith challenging thing for them. Um, but it, it is just important to to know whether or not you have felt the Holy Spirit speak to you to tell you that Joseph Smith was a prophet and that Jesus is your Savior. Because once you have that power, that that witness of the Spirit, that Joseph Smith indeed was a prophet of God, then that means he's still a prophet of God even if he doesn't know how malaria works. It means he's still a prophet of God even though he didn't discern that John C. Bennett was going to become a horrible traitor to the church. It means he's still a prophet of God even if he at times was a sinner. is very open about the fact that he's not perfect. It's us looking back on him who seem to not really be willing to tolerate the fact that he's not perfect. Just
0: as a quick aside on not being perfect, uh, I got I got my facts wrong on the national anthem. I, I just want every, all the listeners who have already called Sal their bookie to place it. The average the average is a minute twenty three. Houston had it at a minute fifty, uh, minute fifty six. So I by
1: Houston, you don't mean
0: the Super Bowl that was at Houston. I, I, oh, I'm, I'm
1: I thought you were referencing the hit, Apollo landing again. Hit
0: the under. I, I would feel terrible if Ken lost his home based on uh, faulty information. I am also not a prophet.
1: I think you should know by now that that once bookies take a bet, you. You can't change it. That's right. Send,
0: yeah. send your emails and a copy of your slip in, and I will reimburse no, you. No, we will not. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, you know, one last thing I didn't mention is that there's, a couple, there's some evidence in this list of reminiscences that he has um, that Huntington is not quite getting everything right, that he's remembering parts of things, but that things are becoming somewhat jumbled. Uh, For instance, he writes, Wine was used at the sacrament in Kirtland. And one Saturday, Joseph the prophet sent someone to the store to buy wine for the next day. Joseph started then to go home, and on the way, an angel of God met him and told him to buy no more wine of the enemies for the sacrament, but use water until they should make wine new um, themselves, for their enemies would try to kill the saints with poison in the wine. Now, Something like that story does take place, but it takes place in Colesville in, in New York. This is where you get, um, uh, you know, Section 27 of the Doctrine and Covenants. It, it, it comes in 1830, not, not later in 1833, 34, whenever they're saying they're doing this. And also, you know, water outside of this source, we, we don't think is used in the sacrament until much, much, much later. So you can see how there's some parts of that that are accurate, but then there's other parts that are completely inaccurate. But while we're on the subject of drink, let's, let's tell one last story that he has in here. Robert Thompson was a faithful, uh, just clerk for Joseph Smith. Now, maybe there are some of you who are, are solid enough listeners of ours that you remember listening to our mercy-fielding Episode. Does anyone remember that one? Great
0: unsung heroes, unsung
1: women of 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 church history. Robert Thompson was her husband, right? She was Mercy Fielding Thompson. Robert Thompson was a faithful just clerk for Joseph Smith the Prophet in Nauvoo, and had been in his office steady for quite two years, for nearly two years. Joseph said to Brother Thompson one day, "Robert, I want you to go out and go on a binge." Go get drunk and have a good spree, and if you don't, you will die. Now, of all of the things that Oliver Huntington wrote, I desperately want this one to be true. I desperately want it. Robert did not do it. He was a very pious, exemplary man and never guilty of such impropriety as he thought that to be. In less than two weeks, he was dead and buried. Now, here's a great example of correlation not really being causation. Um, Robert Thompson, by all accounts, is absolutely faithful and is absolutely devoted to Joseph, and Joseph loves him. I mean, they they are very close to one another. But Thompson dies not of not going out and getting drunk enough, but of tuberculosis, which... However much alcohol you consume is not going to kill tuberculosis, right? I mean, it's still a major killer in the world today, as we talked about in that podcast. You can see that the tenor of all of these reminiscent ideas are things to prove that Joseph was a prophet. Joseph was a prophet because of this. Joseph was a prophet because of that. He was a prophet because of this. And that actually goes back to the, to the, the question that we had um, earlier and that is, you know, you, you sometimes I feel like these things are just, you know, that there are stories that people use to try to, 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 to prove things. How do we know what's true and what's not true? Obviously, we use the Spirit to help discern. But again, none of our testimonies should be turning. They should not be hanging in the balance. They should not be rising or falling on the basis of a single statement somewhere in someone's journal 40 years after the prophet's murdered that that's not where your testimony should be because even if joseph thought people lived on the moon you tell me where the book of mormon came from you better have a better answer for that than joseph might have thought people lived on the moon because someone said that he said that he said that he did 40 years after the fact i mean that that sounds like a great argument it's just not a very good argument so I think that's our constant plea on this, on this podcast is look, we wanna we wanna learn things. We want to be engaged in, in 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 learning about these things. At the same time, we need to to learn things with patience, in all patience and faith, right? Just because we learn a source that we didn't know before does not necessarily mean that our entire worldview or our testimony needs to change. And that's why it's so important that everybody listening really receives that witness of the Holy Ghost, that this is God's true church. Because I don't believe simply because of the history that I've read. I believe because the Holy Spirit has told me that this is God's true church. I believe that Joseph Smith is a prophet because I believe God has told me that he's a prophet. And that is what matters. And so hopefully everyone can build that as their foundation. And then as we expand out to these other questions, even if the question isn't answered the way we want it to be, even if it's a topic that we hadn't heard before, in the end, we are still secure in our testimony that Jesus is the Christ that Joseph was his prophet, and that this is God's church on the earth.
0: Thank you for listening to the Standard of Truth podcast, hosted by historian Dr. Garrett Dirkmott. If you know anybody that could benefit from the material in this episode, please share it with them. And for more resources, visit standardoftruth.com. Until next time.